0: before, Before we turn our attention to the gospel text that is assigned for us today, I'd like for us to consider the prayer our Lord taught us to pray. We pray it in morning prayer. We pray it in evening prayer. We pray it in our Eucharist service. We pray it when we simply are not sure of what or how to pray in any particular given situation. We pray this prayer so frequently that sometimes we can fail to realize its importance and its depth. We can fail to realize that when we pray this prayer, we are actually putting conditions and responsibilities on ourselves. Consider and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, how much do you want and expect and pray for God to forgive you? Well, according to this, only as much as you forgive others. Now, I want God to fully forgive me. I'm assuming you want the same. Therefore, I must fully forgive others. That's truly a hard standard. And sometimes I have to pray an adaptation of that plea made by the man speaking to Jesus. When Jesus said, do you believe? He said, I believe. O Lord, help my unbelief. Sometimes I have to say, I forgive. O Lord, help my unforgiveness. Now, I want to also consider thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how is this going to happen? It's going to happen when we the body of Christ on earth, go about the business of doing his will and building his kingdom. We must be about the work of Christ. We need to be imitating Jesus in our lives. Lord, then your kingdom truly will come. And your will will be done. Now, just tuck that in the back of your mind. I want to turn to our gospel passage appointed for this morning from the 21st, chapter of Matthew, we've got a rather lengthy section I want to focus in just on the last couple verses, where we read that Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. I will point out in the very next verse that which we did not read the, immediately after this happened. The blind and the lame came to Jesus in the newly cleansed temple and were healed. In the first 11 verses of this chapter, we have what's known as the triumphal entry. Jesus sent the disciples into Jerusalem to obtain the Full the young, dog, the young donkey, and then riding that riding on that donkey entered into Jerusalem, and Jesus was greeted with much joy and celebration. The people threw branches and their cloaks down into the street to prepare the way for the entering of the king. Just in case you've ever wondered why they would do such a thing, throwing their cloaks and the branches down into the street but helps prevent the stirring up of dust in the at that age unpaved roads now when Lent is coming to an end and as we approach the time that we will be to speaking of the passion of the Christ that triumphal entry will become the focus of at least one sermon but for now I'm going to look at the next little bit of our passage for today. What happened next? Jesus entered the temple. And what did he find? There's a currency exchange. Money changers. And a market. People selling sacrifices. Before going any further, something needs to be pointed out. And that is, in Jerusalem, near the temple... There was supposed to be. There's supposed to be money changers. And there is supposed to be people selling sacrifices. This is actually a concession of mercy at the will of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, we read about people submitting their tithe and providing their sacrifices. And it says, if the way is too long for you, that you're not able to carry the tithe. When the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which your Lord God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money. Bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. In other words, seeing that it is the need, your need to give God the very best of your harvest, the very best of your flock, the very best of your produce and. The very best you have needs to be totally unblemished, and transporting that harvest, that animal, that produce over long distances is likely to result in the tithe of the sacrifice being blemished or damaged. It is perfectly okay. In fact, it is preferable that you sell what you intend to give so that you can carry the money, and once you get to Jerusalem, buy an equitable offering or sacrifice, and bring it then straight into the temple, totally unblemished. God does not want to make serving him impossible. God wants to remove any obstacles there may be for us to bring him our very best. As a result, in his mercy, God says, don't risk your offering. Convert it into money. When you get to Jerusalem, convert it back to an offering. This explains the selling of sacrifices. And well, what about the money changers? Well, this is reflective of the fact that there are people coming in from all different places, and each one of them will have minor variations in their currency. So all these different people who've converted their offering into money in the far-flung regions of the influence of, of Judaism in the kindest of, sort of what they what they referred to as God-fearers, people who were not necessarily ethnically Jews, but had come to worship as the Jews, coming in from all different places to the temple. They're going to carry the currency of their own region. And now in Jerusalem, it's being converted to a standardized currency. Again, no trouble in this principle. Why did Jesus get so upset? A quick review. It is Thursday, the 2nd of April in the year A.D. 33. If you want to know how we get that date, feel free to ask me afterwards. Jesus has just entered the city of Jerusalem to great fanfare. He's already, he had already sent his disciples ahead to prepare the upper room of a home for the celebration of the Passover meal. Now, for Himself to prepare for the celebration of the Passover, Jesus goes to the temple in order to pray. This is reflective of what God has told us to the prophet Isaiah and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath does not profane it, holds fast to my covenant. These I'll bring to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. You come in, you prepare to worship, you prepare by praying. And for all peoples. So there again we have people from all lands and therefore all currencies. Coming to make their sacrifices in God's holy temple. A house of prayer for all peoples. So, of course, with this background, Jesus is going to enter his house, his father's house, and pray in preparation for the Passover. Everything has gone exactly as it should up until this moment. Then we return to the money changers and the sellers of sacrifices, which we know is not bad in and of themselves, but there's the matter of the where and how. Instead of setting nearby the temple, the merchants were in the temple. Instead of exchanging and selling at a fair rate, they were making profits. Instead of being a sign of mercy and kindness of God, providing a service to those in need, they were abusing those in need. They were exploiting those in need. They were profiting off of those in need. They took God's house of prayer for all peoples and converted it converted that house into a house of profiteering for a select few. The temple which contains the chairs of authority for those that teach and the altar for the table of sacrifice has been thereby desecrated. The temple priests had abandoned those duties of serving God and his people. The chairs were now filled with pigeon cages, and we know how filthy pigeons are. And the table covered in cash with priests peddling their services for a profit. Jesus walks into this scene and is immediately filled with righteous indignation, and Jesus turns the tables. He restores the purity and the purpose of the temple. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus restored the purity and the purpose of the temple? Because the blind and the lame, who had been there for who knows how long, seeking after the mercy of God, but not prayed for, not cared for, not brought before God for any healing, all because the priests were too busy trying to make a buck, ignored them. But when Jesus turned the tables, the blind and the lame immediately came to Jesus and were healed in the newly purified temple of God. You might be wondering at this point, why is this an Advent passage? Isn't Advent supposed to get us ready for Christmas? Actually, no, it's not. Advent is supposed to get us ready for the second coming of Christ, the new Advent. Advent. The day when the redemption that was initiated at Jesus' birth is brought to fulfillment by his return. The day that his kingdom started on earth will be brought into its fullness on earth. The day that the final tables are turned against sin and death and all the corruption of Satan in this world. But until then, as we await the coming of our Emmanuel, it is up to us. Remember, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are, until his return, the body of Christ on earth. It is up to us to turn the tables, to welcome the stranger, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to visit the sick and imprisoned, to pray for those in need and sickness that they may be restored. It is up to us. It is up to you and to me. question that we each need to ask ourselves now is how will I turn a table this week? Amen.